get the full bonfire experience on your screen youtube.com slash bonfire sports thumbs up subscribe you'll know when we're live enjoy the games Tonight, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers got beat. Hamilton Tiger Cats came to play. And, you know, people will talk about the bye week we will hear on the program. People will talk about Winnipeg's curse in Hamilton during the regular season. They haven't won there since Zach Kolaris was the quarterback of the Ticats. You know, we'll talk about that too. Um, but in the end... Taylor Powell, this kid's a player, man. Ticats offense looks completely rejuvenated under new offensive coordinator Scott Milanovic. If you missed it, about a month ago, Hamilton Tiger Cats fired longtime offensive coordinator, veteran coach in the CFL, Tommy Condell, and Scott Milanovic, who, of course, Grey Cup winning head coach in the CFL, with the Toronto Argonauts, 100th Grey Cup, Mike O'Shea, the special teams coordinator, was named the head coach of the Edmonton Elks in 2020, or the Edmonton football team at that time. And then the missed season left him effectively unemployed, joined the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive staff, coaching the quarterbacks there prior to Nathan Rourke, of course. And he was let go about a year ago. And was kind of in waiting, joined the Ticats as a special assistant, uh, offensive assistant. And now Scott Milanovic is running the Ticats offense and they look really, really good. They've won three of their past four games. Coincidentally, that's the stretch that Scott Milanovic has been in charge of the offense. And I think also a huge factor in Winnipeg's 29-23 loss today is that they just got out physical. Ticats were hitting them hard. They were playing intense, fast, aggressive. Uh, aggressive in their play calling, aggressive in their play. And Simone Lawrence and Malik Carney, Jagir Davis, uh, you know, Stavros Katzentonis. Canadian veteran that is their starting safety this week because Canadian veteran... Tunde and Delike, injured. Richard Leonard, veteran halfback, injured. Ticat's back end was beat up. And Winnipeg's offense, I thought, did a good job in the first half. Uh, but the reality is, they were in a horse race. Absolute horse race with the Ticats. Bang, bang, back and forth. Well... Winnipeg loses their fourth game of the season. They're still in first place in the West Division. The Ticats improved to one game under 500. They are now six and seven and trying to hold off, or sorry, trying to catch the Montreal Alouettes for second place and a potential home playoff date in what would be the Eastern semifinal. Of course, the Toronto Argonauts clinched first place with their win. Uh, so, you know, there's lots to play for in the East. This isn't a dead and gone Hamilton Tiger Cats team because they're on their third string quarterback. They started the season 0-3. Since then, they've kind of been going win-loss, win-loss. Well, now they've won three of four. And I think the Ticats are a team that will be 
will be reckoned with in the uh, the final stretch here uh, of the regular season. The Bombers now, of course, move into their second of three buys. And following that, I tell you what, you better buckle up. The Bombers are going to be buckled up. Fans better be buckled up. It's the two biggest games of the year, bar none. Toronto Argonauts coming to IG Field on Friday, September 29th. Of course, that game will be watched by everybody in this country because it's the two best teams in the CFL. And yes, I know the Bombers lost tonight. They deserve to lose. They got beat. We're going to get into all of that on the show here. But it's Bombers-Argos in Winnipeg's next game, and then Winnipeg travels to BC for the rubber match, the third meeting of the season with the BC Lions, where... Depending on where Winnipeg sits at that point, they're 10 and 4. They got the Argos. Then they go into BC. If they're 10 and 5, or even if they're 11 and 4, the BC Lions are going to be really, really hungry and keyed up to get some revenge against a team that, uh, you know, handed them pretty good the last time. And of course, the season series on the line in that game as well, but could determine who's hosting the West Final on November 11th this coming uh, CFL Grey Cup playoffs. What's going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great weekend. I am glad you are here on game day after dark. A little bit of a new uh, a new image there. What do you guys think? What do you think of that new uh, after dark script? Let me know in the comments. Uh, great to see everybody in the live chat. All the usual suspects. What's going on, Firestarters? Including T. Kona Polly, who always likes to say, What's up, Pyros, in all caps. Great to see everybody there. Tons of texts have been coming in all game long, frankly, all week long, on the Bonfire Hotline. If you want to text the hotline, leave your name. Don't forget, leave your name so I know who I'm talking to. I'm just speaking into the abyss right now as a special co-host will join us a little bit later. But text the hotline, 204-816-TIPS. 816-8477. It's just like texting your mama. Standard message rate supply. Same as you text anybody. Uh, why a special guest? Why? We'll call it the one game. Zach Schnitzer. The lifeblood. The fan fuel of Bonfire Sports. And our Bombers coverage here on the channel. He's getting some knee surgery. This weekend. So everybody out there, send your best to Schnitzi. He is going to be watching the show. What's going on, Schnitzi? You take it easy, brother. We're going to see you on Bonfire Midweek on Wednesday. God willing. Uh, so send your best to uh, Schnitzi in the live chat. Let him know you got his back and you wish he was around the bonfire right now. Well, he is around the bonfire, just not in front of it like I am to you uh, right now and like he normally is. So special guests coming up a little bit later. Looking forward to that. We're going to have some fun. We're going to get into some video highlights. I don't know if you're going to get that anywhere else. Definitely not here on YouTube, but uh, you're going to get some video highlights here in an, uh, a dedicated Blue Bombers postgame show. Uh, it's Winnipeg's postgame show. It's your postgame show. Uh, we will get into some stats and answer and ask some questions around this Winnipeg Blue Bombers team that fell, you know, 29-23 tonight, uh, definitely not their best effort. And now going into the bye week. Uh, we've got Walby's Warrior, Westwood's wide to the right, 
all of our usual segments. People text in the Bonfire Hotline, 816 tips. The Bonfire Burning Point. During the game, sending their Bonfire Burning Point in. Mark my words, they said. I don't know if they left their name, so I'm going to get to those uh, on the, the text line in a second. We'll hand out our happy honker and our game balls uh, when that very special guest joins us uh, in just a few minutes. Um, obviously, Winnipeg coming out of that huge emotional high and a 51-6 win in the 19th annual Banjo Ball. It was going to go one of two ways. I think that was safe to assume. It was going to go one of two ways. It was going to be riding that high and carrying it through. Or it was going to be a bit of a letdown. And we got the letdown. That's what we saw from the Bombers tonight. Uh, not completely unexpected, but also not expected. I think the expectations of Winnipeg is a lot higher than it used to be, and it's a lot higher across the board, I think, from all fans, from all onlookers. Is this Winnipeg team as dominant as they used to be? A lot of people texting the hotline saying, this Winnipeg team is not the dominant team of the two Grey Cup teams. See if I can find that text on the hotline. Just texting with the special guest host, uh, co-host right now, stepping in for Schnitzi tonight. Um, but, you know, some of those messages on the hotline were, uh, are they as dominant as those Grey Cup teams? And, and they're saying that they're not. I think they're as good as those teams. Maybe not in every facet. But I think this Winnipeg team is definitely as good as the 2019 team that finished in third place. They had to ride through the uh, they had to ride through the road on the way to uh, their first Grey Cup in 29 years. Keep that in mind. Uh, let's take a look at the stats. What do you guys say before we get into some some uh, video highlights? And uh, Scott, Phyllis, Comet, uh, hey, my Unk is in the live chat. What's going on, Unk? Good to see you. Um, Waiters, Reggie Dunlop. No, it's not Troy Westwood uh, joining uh, the show a little bit later. Um, this text just came in. Lots of money guys on this team, not big time players anymore, especially on defense. No name left there. Um, but they did text uh, after the Labor Day Classic. Leave your name. I want to say hi. Uh, <laughs> lots of money guys on this team, but not big time players anymore, especially on D. I don't know about that. Taylor Powell, James Butler, they really showed up. They, they played really well. Hamilton deserved this win. Let's not pretend like Winnipeg just blew it, okay? And I get the fan perspective will be, you know, when, when a team loses, they should have won. Maybe. But Hamilton deserved to win. So you could say Hamilton should have won. Uh, here is uh, a look at the team stats. And uh, we'll start over uh, on this side here and on offense. Uh, these are your total first downs. And pretty close uh, as Winnipeg's offense was playing pretty, pretty good in the first half before uh, a second half that saw uh, a whole bunch of turnovers, including what Zach Kolaris described after the game as 
forced, forced throws on his final two interceptions. And that's definitely what I saw on, um, on the interception by, um, oh gosh, I don't know who the interception was by, but the one that it was targeted, uh, to Brady Oliveira and it, you know, Oliveira slipped, uh, and the guys on the broadcast who, who always do an amazing job. I saw things a little bit different than they did. They said, you know, Oliveira slipped and that's why Claris missed him. What I saw was Brady losing his feet because the ball was so off target and he was trying to like make a quick cut to get to the football. Claris missed him. But very impressively, impressively, Zach Claris led a touchdown drive right after that, following the strip sack and uh, the Brandon Alexander fumble recovery which he then got a 10-yard penalty, objectionable conduct. I don't, I don't know what that was for. Um, however, uh, at that point, Zach Kolaris led a touchdown drive where he went five for five passing for 47 yards. And then he ran in the touchdown. I tweeted bonus points for style. Bonus style points for Zach Kolaris staying in on short yardage goal line wedge package and punching in his first rushing touchdown of the season. I think it's his first. Um, a lot of talk about uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats second down conversion rate. Winnipeg actually was better on second down than Hamilton. But what Hamilton was able to do is convert second down when it was second and long. And I think that really hurt Winnipeg. Really, really hurt them. Uh, Taylor Powell and the Ticats offense, 75% in the red zone. The one time they weren't, huge pick from Evan Holm, who I have on my short list for CFL West Division All-Stars at halfback. Man, Evan Holm has been good. Huge interception to keep Winnipeg within striking distance uh, in the second half. Uh, offensive plays. Well, of course, Hamilton had a few more. Winnipeg's average gain per play was really good, and they outgained the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They put up 423 yards of net offense. So while Winnipeg wasn't able to score when they needed to late, I'm not hanging anything on the offense in this game. Uh, you know, Kolaris, three picks, two that, you know, he described as forced. No doubt he wants those back. But, you know, uh, it's, uh, that we, we've seen that from Zach Kolaris a little bit this year where he, he throws some picks, hit the live chat. Let me know what you think about Zach Kolaris this season. And are the interceptions an anomaly or are they becoming a trend? Cause it's another multi interception game for the reigning two time, most outstanding player in the CFL. Uh, the special teams, no question remains a huge Red flag. It's not even a red flag. A red flag is a warning. This is a huge black flag because it is, it is a problem. Winnipeg's coverage, Winnipeg's return game have all not been good. And let me see if I can pull this up here. Remember this? Here's Tyreek McAllister and uh, shout out TSN for uh, the numbers here. But there's Tyreek McAllister Returning the convert, the distance. Castillo, it's heading right, and no, he missed it to the right. So they got six on the board, and that'll be it as it's taken out here by McAllister. 
Well, great blocking by Hamilton, I have to say. But nobody even close to Tyreek Lukowski. Nobody even close. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the special teams is, um, it's, it's concerning at this point. No question. Um, and I'll, I'll spin over here to, um, the rest of the, uh, the team stats. Uh, Hamilton was dang good running the football. And, you know, I was talking to my dad before the game and he's like, well, you know, how do you think this one's going to go? And said, well, you know, I expect Winnipeg to win, but I also see a path to victory for the tie cats and it's going to start with the run game right it's going to start with the run game and it did they put on 160 on the ground and while winnipeg out averaged the run game they were just pounding the rock and i think it made it really hard for winnipeg's defensive front to create pressure because taylor powell i think even when not pressured too much uh, is composed, calm, real cool, real cool. Um, you know, and, and talking, um, you know, Tim White, I think it was talking to TSN after the game. He said, you know, what, uh, Matt Dunnigan asked him like, what's he like in, in the, the huddle? Give us a little glimpse of like, you know, what kind of leader he is. And he just said, he's just always calm. doesn't matter the situation. Um, Taylor Powell, Jake Dolagala, um, Drew Brown, there's, um, hey, Trey Ford, I just named you four quarterbacks that nobody either expected to be a starter or even knew who they were a year ago. There's not a quarterback problem in the CFL. They're coming. Uh, Taylor Powell, 77% passing. Incredible. He is a player, man. Um, as we uh, take a, a good look at the stats here, uh, let's bring it back. How you doing? What else do we have on the bonfire hotline? You know, maybe we'll maybe we'll uh, check some um, check some comments here. Uh, James in the peg says opposing teams are dialing into our offensive playbook. I mean, the more plays you put on film, the more other teams are going to figure it out. These are all professionals. Across the entire CFL, pro coaches, pro players, they know what they're doing. That's why they're paid the big bucks. Comet says, Zach has happy feet at certain times this year. Yeah, I, I think that's a little cliche, Comet. And thanks for texting the hotline. Always love seeing you uh, text the hotline, Comet. Appreciate you. Um, wow. Wow. Just reading your texts here, comment to the Bonfire Hotline, 204-816-8477, 816-TIPS. Another strong start by the opposition and intensity not matched by the blue. Comet, aka Robert. Oh, the Lawler catch. Oh boy, I want to talk about that. It would be surprising if there was consistency. But I'm not seeing consistency in the way these, these catches are ruled. P.I., holding, you know, you could talk about a lot of those things. But you look at the Sean Bain two-point convert catch for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the Labor Day Classic in overtime. 
And we talked about it here on the post game here on bonfire. We talked about it. We played the clip over and over and over again. And Zach Schnitzi and I disagreed, but I thought it was a catch. I thought he had both hands control on the football, Sean Bain in the Labor Day classic. And then the ball hit the ground while he was holding it. That's a catch. That's a catch. You have control of the football. It's not about, well, any ball that touches the ground is incomplete. That doesn't make sense. That was a catch by Sean Bain. And today, Kenny Lawler made a great catch. And it looked clear in the replay that he secured the ball the same way Sean Bain did. And he even had his hand under the ball more so than Sean Bain. Sean Bain kind of had it like gripped on the points, right? Let's see if I can do this. He had it gripped on the points. Oh, postmodern right there. Uh, Lawler had his hand underneath the football. And good on the Bombers. Good on Mike O'Shea to challenge that. And I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I'll go as far as saying I have no doubt. They're thinking and seeing the same thing I do. In that you saw the Sean Bain catch. And then you see this Kenny Lawler catch should be a catch. Well, the Bombers lose their timeout. They quickly score a touchdown. So it's kind of a moot point. But um, we need to see that consistency. We, we need to see it. Uh, yeah, we, uh, that w- is so important. That is so incredibly important. Uh, let's take a look at the offensive stats from a individual player perspective. Uh, in the Blue Bombers, 29-23 loss in Hamilton. Here's Taylor Powell, as we mentioned, 77% passing. 67% passing is impressive. Last week in a win, the Cats quarterback, Taylor Powell, who wears number zero, by the way, I don't know if you noticed that. Never seen that before. Kind of like it. Uh, Powell, 77% passing. Last week went 65% passing, over 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. I was like, man, he's coming in on a bit of a heater. Well, he goes 77% passing tonight. And the only mistake he made was that Evan Holm interception in the end zone. It's the only mistake he made. James Butler high volume with 22 carries, but only averaged 3.7 yards per carry. That's not a great number. Those big rushing yards really did come down to Tim White's 52-yard scamper in the first quarter. That play was excellent. So well designed. Great job of misdirection. They called it a reverse. It didn't technically get reversed. It was a pseudo reverse in that it looked like Taylor Powell was going to go to James Butler to the left flat and Tim White comes back the other way. So if he had given it to Butler and then Butler gave it to Tim White, that would be a reverse. You're going one way and you reverse it the other way. This was kind of a pseudo reverse misdirection Great play call, 52-yard run, sets up a Terry Godwin six-yard touchdown grab to put Hamilton up 10-0 early. 
Uh, that was a five play 86 yard drive that lasted over three minutes. Uh, receiving Tim White, like this guy will be a CFL all-star. He is just so good. Not huge numbers. Obviously you, you add the 52 rushing to the 55 receiving. He's a hundred yard uh, gainer today, but three second down conversions, Terry Godwin, three second down conversions, uh, Bayless, three second down conversions, throw in Tyreek McAllister, Sean Thomas Erlington and, uh, uh, and, uh, Smith all with second down conversions. And well, that's another feather in, in uh, Taylor Powell's cap. Just incredible job spreading the ball around where he gives like eight guys double digit targets. Well done. Well done, young man. Look out for the tie cats. I know. I know. I, know. I look, look, look. <laughs> I know some of you out there who watch the show a lot, right? You watch Bonfire Midweek, you watch the pregame with Walby, you watch the postgame with, with me and Schnitzi, and you're all saying it. Oh, yeah, Darren's Tie Cats. I've had huge respect for the Tie Cats for a number of years. They're a good football club, they're a well coached football club. I just call a spade a spade, man. That's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing. Uh, Greg Turley. Good to see you in the live chat, Greg, watching live on YouTube. The defense struggles without Jeffcoat, says Greg. That is entirely difficult to disagree with. When he's out, they do look, they look like a much more mortal group. Much more mortal group. Um, Sandy, good to see you, my friend. This is the second time a team has run back a wide kick for a two-point conversion. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking that one of those got called back or he was taken down. Anyway, special teams are an area of concern. Definitely an area of concern. Um, this text came into the hotline. No name again. Got to leave your name. 816-TIPS-204-816-8477. The league needs to not take challenges away from a team if ruling is inconclusive. Too impactful with poor on-field work. Example, pass interference on Dembski. That is a 45-yard play. They can't challenge later. You have to... I, I hear what you're saying. You, you have to have something on the line or else coaches are going to be challenging all the time. You know, kind of fishing a little bit. If it's inconclusive, yeah. But then you're kind of putting another judgment call in the hands of the officials in the command center. Is that what you want? Maybe, maybe Uh granny bomber fan, new avatar, same great name. What's going on? Granny bomber fan. Is this the first running TD by Caleros? Pardon me. The misspelling there threw me off. Zach Kolaris emphasis on the lar Kolaris. <laughs> is it his first running TD? I think it might be a second. I think it might be a second. Reggie Dunlop. Okay. Who is the guest? Let's go. Yeah. I mean that guest, I texted them the link. Haven't seen them. 
Give me a second here. We'll see if they get that. We'll see if they get that. Uh, Winnipeg's offensive numbers. Let's take a quick look at that. Outside of the three picks, and I mean, hey, it's easy to say outside of the three picks. Kolaris, 60% passing, 344 yards. Two TDs in those three picks. Uh, Oliveira, uh, maybe not as impactful as he has been of late, but still averaging over five yards per carry. Uh, 46 on the ground is, um, you know, um, definitely below his average on a per game basis. He is over 120 yards combined rushing and receiving uh, in games this season. Dalton Schoen came to play. Eight catches on 10 targets for 110 yards, four second down conversions, and tough. Just takes the blow and keeps on going. Nick Dembski, who had one catch for nine yards last week, didn't really need to contribute much more than that because Winnipeg was just clicking, firing. But Dembski has a huge comeback game. Six catches on 10 targets. Six for 137. Averaging well over 22 yards per catch. Had that nice chunk play of 56. Three second down conversions. Two catches of 30 plus yards. And the touchdown. Kenny Lawler, of course, pulled in that touchdown. Uh, got, you know, targeted a lot. But... Wasn't able to uh, produce too, too much. 41 yards uh, receiving for the Bombers wide side, wide out. Uh, let's, uh, let, let's take this moment to uh, draw some attention to uh, some people, some businesses that uh, definitely keep things afloat here on the bonfire. And we'll start with Heart to Home Meals. Heart to Home believes life should get easier with age. That's why Heart to Home has created a service with lifestyle, tastes, and nutrition in mind. Order online or by phone, and one of their friendly and trusted delivery team members will have delicious meals delivered straight to your door. No contracts. Order as often or as little as you like. It's easy. Visit hearttohomemeals.ca or call one 866 9331516 you can find more information on them uh and and those details i just read aloud uh, in the video description and your podcast description uh as well uh the winnipeg wolfpack of course got to mention them before our special guest pops in to join us they just joined they're coming up next the wolfpack group of tackle football players here in winnipeg Age 16 and up, the Wolfpack welcome a diverse group of athletes who love the game and travel to play in different cities across Canada. Experienced coaches work to promote growth and development in every player and grow the game of women's football. They're recruiting athletes who want to be empowered and find new opportunities within football. You'll play games here in Winnipeg, upcoming travel across Canada, the United States, including down the road in North Dakota, September 23rd. It's a pretty cool thing. Are you a female that wants to play football or you know somebody that is interested? You can have a conversation. Just email them info.wpgwolfpack at gmail.com. Uh, all right, let's do it. Let's bring in our man. 
here he is making his 2023 debut. Oh, there it is. You see his name and there he is. There's his mug. Hammer, who's not in the hammer. He's here around the bonfire with us. What's going on, Hammy? How you doing, my friend? Well, Mr. Bombing, Darren, how you doing, man? First of all, great to be on here. Uh, probably doing a bit better than most Bomber fans right now, or at least those who have a, a, you know an emotional investment because, wow, what a stinker that one was. That was uh, mm -hmm. uncharacteristic, unpredictable, in my opinion. I thought the Bombers just... I thought that loss two weeks ago in the Labor Day Classic was a bit of a wake-up call for this club, you know, and I thought that they'd be more prepared on the road this week. Um, didn't see much of that. So I know I'm getting into the game when you just ask me how I'm doing, but uh, it's just because I'm so excited to be on here right now and just to break down this one because, you know, we haven't seen a lot of these. We've seen, unfortunately, for Bomber fans, a couple of these this season. Um, but it's just I think it's just showing, man, this is the 2023 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They're not... I'm not going to go as far as to call them unpredictable because in a lot of ways they've been very predictable in, in some of their performances this season and, and certainly some of their victories. But this is not your, uh, this is not your, what do you usually say? It's not your older brother's bombers. <laughs> I feel like I've heard you say that in the past. It's a great, it's a great line. And, and the point of that is, is this isn't your 2021 bombers where you can just expect this team to go, whether it's on the road or at home and, and lay the boots to a team that's worse than them. We've, you know, we've just seen a couple cracks in this club. And I think this week was just the latest example. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, well, you know, I'm with you there. <laughs> uh, do you see a correlation here with the bye week at all? Do you, do you buy into that, that theory? You know what? Someone, some people were asking me about that. You know, I got some, you know, degenerate friends who asked me, you know, do they think the bomber is going to show up, you know, and they're gambling for escapades and whether or not the, the, uh, the bye week, you know, would be something that would be in the back of their minds. You know what? I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to tell you that every single guy was focused. We just, we've covered this team, Darren, for so long that bye weeks really have not been an issue, right? They've never been like, you know, I mean, someone might pull the stats from, uh, I'd be some bad stats for a lot of couple, you know, maybe, but I just, from, you know, yeah. my immediate recollection, I did not see a team that, you know, is bothered by bye weeks, whether that's a bye week coming up or coming off a bye week. You know, this is a team that's always been mentally strong. I don't buy into the, you know, guys planning their vacations too, you know, too many days in advance. Now there is yeah. that, there always is that thing, right? This is the second bye week. So this is kind of one of the bye weeks that guys do go away or go home. I think, you know, I, I think earlier in the year, there were guys that definitely went home. There was over the summer. So they, you know, they were able to kind of stay local and, and get a cab and do kind of some of the summer stuff. Maybe more guys are heading back home to see the family. Uh, it's been a long season, you know, already, and it's going to, you know, there's still plenty of season to go. So maybe just the idea of having to work around plans and do things, you know, because it's a pretty intense week. Every week is intense, right? We don't see yep. it. Fans don't see it. I mean, we see obviously the off, you know, the on, the on, uh, you know, the practice, the workouts, the on-field workouts, but there's a lot of that mental exercise that goes into meetings and, and just, tying up all loose ends, if you will, leading up to a game. So maybe there was a little bit of an issue with preparation, but I'm not putting it at that. I, I look at a really, really desperate, a really, really desperate Hamilton team that's, you know, has been playing for their playoff lives for the last, you know, month, or you could argue all season after a, a pretty rough start. Um, but I also thought that for that exact reason, I thought the Bombers had plenty to play for. This isn't a team that's wrapped up the West. This nope. is still very much a division that is, 
you know, is, is open for the taking for the BC Lions and now even more so. So I just, you know, you, you factor all that, that into play. I just thought this was going to be an intense effort by, by the Bombers and a, and a team that would have been motivated to take that step to, to you know, clean up the West, before, you know, with a month like they've done the last well, couple seasons. On that point, let me interject and, and, and ask you that, um, you know, would, would it change if Winnipeg was saying, you know, okay, we're looking, we're looking ahead. I wonder if they were looking ahead because the two they biggest games of the year. They would never say that though. Hey? They would never say they're looking ahead. No, though. they would never say they were, but I don't know if it was as much about the bye week and, and, you know, you were choppy a little bit there when, when you were talking about, you know, past years and that sort of thing they they have had some losses going into the bye week. Uh, I think they had a couple last year, but um, looking to the Argos coming to town and then going to BC and then another bye week, right? Like the upcoming bye is the first bookend of the two biggest games of the year. And then another bye before wrapping up the regular season with uh, a home and home with the two Alberta teams or each of the Alberta teams. But I wonder if it's okay. You know, we're playing really well. Our quarterback is dicing it up. Our O-line, our running game, like look what we did against Saskatchewan. We're going to go to Hamilton and play a team that is sub 500. Um, Maybe they just took their eye off the ball a little bit. This is what I know. And I mentioned this on game day, Winnipeg with Chris Walby. Our pregame show we always do. I don't know if there's a team in Canada that hates the Bombers more than the Hamilton Tiger Cats do. You could say it's Calgary. You could say it's Saskatchewan. I look at the team that has lost two straight Grey Cup appearances to this Mike O'Shea, Zach Kolaris team and say, we hate these guys. I think they get up for this game. You know what? Oh, do we got you, Hammy? You're a little choppy. Here, you know what? I'm trying to get I'm trying to get my wife but if you can hear me now, can you hear got me? Got you now. Yep. I'm just glad your face is a little saying, garbled. A tar- That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I just I think I think that the 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 um the bombers have a the bombers have a target on their back every week. I think they get the other team's best. I think not only is a victory over Winnipeg an incredibly important two points, every game's an incredibly important two points. I think the Bombers, a victory over the Bombers means more than that. Like, I think it, I think it's, I think it's one of those things where I don't know if I, it's interesting comment because I mean, look at last year, they went into Hamilton. Dane Evans had the game of his life in this, in the worst season of his career. And they just absolutely dominate the, dominate the Bombers. So you know, to me, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's an interesting thing because Orlando Steinauer and Michael Shea are as, are as good of friends as they come in the league, right? Whereas, you know, you look at, you look at, you know, the, the Canadian mafia or F the Canadian mafia in Calgary, right. you can kind of draw that, that, that hatred, if you will, between the Bombers and the, and, and the Stampeders. And we, and we just, you know, the Bombers have essentially taken over the Stampeders reign as a class of the CFL. And there, so I can see some added angst there. Saskatchewan, no explanation needed. But yeah. yeah, for some reason, I mean, here's the other thing. The man. fans, I mean, no the doubt, it's Saskatchewan. Leaving, no doubt. Well, I'm leaving this out too. The Bombers did beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats how many times in the in you know in the Great Cup? 
you know, yeah, they like going back to the so sixties, like, right? Yeah. The fifties yeah, and, and just, but beating them at home at, at the great cup, you know what I mean? Like it, like there is some, there is, there you, is a rivalry there, right? Do you There's remember how favored the Ticats were in 2019? Like you and I were in a room with like 15, 20 reporters the day before the game. And it's like, who thinks Winnipeg can upset Hamilton? I put my hand up and one other person put their hand up and everyone's like, how, why, how are they going to beat Hamilton? How? And they did. They didn't just beat them. They dominated them. So the Ticats remember that. Then they get the rematch. They get the, re- the chance at redemption at home on home field. And they lose an overtime on like a double tipped ball. Um, as a team, like I know Orlando Steinauer and Michael Shea are old pals, but like as a team, the staff, the players, those guys that have been there for a long time, Simone, huh, they go to bed at night seeing red when they see blue and gold. I have no doubt. Oh, hope we still got you, Hammy. No, it's Jeff, but come on. <laughs> now you're joining us from a birthday party, aren't you? Is that a birthday party, Hammer? Hope we still got you, man. Oh, he's texting me. Texting the hotline. 204-816-TIPS. Yeah, okay. So he's going to log into the Wi-Fi and uh, we'll, we'll get him straightened out in a second. How about until we get Hammer back, we take a look at some video highlights. Oh, well, geez, just like that. Just like that, he's back. Oh, my goodness. Crispy. Look at this Wi-Fi. Crispy. I, I thought I'd be I thought it would be a bit seamless to go from the Wi-Fi from my phone to the Wi-Fi, but then uh, I noticed no. it took a bit of a break there and then took no, a while. But that, we should be we should be uh <laughs> we should be smooth sailing from here on out. But you mentioned you were you were saying the last time before you cut off, you're mentioning when was the last time Hamilton? So if you can recall that. The last moment. The last time Hamilton I don't know. I said it to the audience. Came in and beat. I was. We were talking about. <laughs> we were talking about the the. You know, just having some kind of rivalry or some hatred between them, between the two teams, and so whatever you're saying. But we can move on. Yeah, I was just so, talking about those those Grey Cup. Like d- they were so favored in the 2019 Grey Cup, and then to get a redemption shot in uh, on home field and to lose on a double tip ball in overtime, like exactly. Simone I mean, Lawrence and and, 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 and that's veterans. the two crazy parts of it. That 2019 game. Who was the favorite in that game? Hamilton was they were you know they were great you know and 2021 absolutely the Bombers were favored but they were going into Tim Horton's field to play the Hamilton Tiger Cats so there's got to there's for sure animosity there and you know what I think what surprised me overall in this game and I'm sure you know you touched on it but man what what's going on with the defense today like where was where was the stops right I mean you have you have two turnovers in the second half that's what the bread and butter of this defense is they need to Mm -hmm. be making plays right it's it's one thing to limit teams to field goals, and they've certainly done that. Um, they did that against B. They did that against uh, Saskatchewan in in uh, in the Labor Day Classic and still lost. But you know what was void in that was that big turnover. This defense needs to have those game changing plays, and and the offense needs to answer from them. And I think that was the biggest difference was that when when Hamilton was stuck in second and long. You know, it got to a point by the third quarter while you're watching, you're just like, yeah, of course they're going to get it. Of course, Taylor Powell is going to scramble out of the pocket and find a guy on the sidelines. It was just it was just to me, it was a rough day at the office for the defense. Not enough, not enough key plays. Again, they finished with the interception and they also had a, you know, a key 
a key fumble, but they only got seven points off that in a game where you needed every single point you could get and more. That's where I felt, uh, and I'm not, I'm not letting the offense off the hook. That's not, you know, that's not what I'm suggesting whatsoever. It just felt like the defense when they needed a stop against the Taylor Powell led Hamilton offense that we've seen, we've seen some good stuff from Hamilton. There's no doubt about it, but we've seen a lot of shit from them this year. And for the bombers to kind of get fed the defense to get fed their lunch the way they did and not really make it a game uh, was quite surprising to me. Ooh, shit and lunch. It's kind of like a shit sandwich, right? That's <laughs> there a you lo- go. You can swear in here. We're on YouTube, right? Yeah. I'll go. I'll be a little careful. Yeah. We'll be just a little bit. And if, if it offends you, <laughs> you know, sorry. Not sorry. sorry. Uh, Robert Starr, I, I like this comment. Uh, Zach seems to be forcing the ball this year, not taking the uh, sack, in my opinion. I, I share that opinion with Robert. I do. Uh, Kolaris mentioned it after the game, uh, Hammer, that uh, the last two interceptions he described as forced, uh, forced throws. The, the one to Brady Oliveira um, was off the mark, completely mm-hmm. off. It was just mm-hmm. a bad throw. Um, the Malik Carney interception, that was a bad read. And, you know, I was texting with Scott Billick, actually, the Winnipeg Sun, uh, during the commercial break. And I'm like, well, he sees Simone Lawrence coming off the edge. He does, he's not expecting, a, a a defensive line. He's expecting that spot by Simone to be vacated. So when he mm-hmm. sees that crossing route, that, that receiver coming across, he's like, well, this is open. And pressure's coming on you. You, you. It's not a video game. You don't get to see everything perfectly clear when pressure's coming and you're five foot 10, uh, like most quarterbacks in the CFL, uh, it, it's tough. So he he gets picked there. But the the interception um, thrown at, at Brady Oliveira was a force. They're down a couple scores. It's early in the fourth quarter. And... I think Zach is trying to put the team on his back. It's admirable. I think it's a quality you want in your quarterback, but I also think it's gotten Kolaris and the Bombers into trouble this year. And it's gotten them into trouble a heck of a lot more than previous years. And I think that's the big difference here, right? I mean, we know, we know the MO of Zach Kolaris, right? He's going, I mean, how many times has he said, you're going to get more sacks against when I'm your quarterback, because I'm going to scramble out of the pocket. I'm going to extend plays as, as you know, as long as I possibly can. And I'm, you know, essentially not going to give up on a play. I mean, that's, that's what you kind of take with, with Zach Claris, you know, you take the good, you know, it's been very good over the mm-hmm. years with some of the bad. And unfortunately there's been a lot of bad over the last month when it comes to interceptions and turnovers. Um, but the fact is, is there's a difference between a guy like Zach Claris who will roll out of the pocket, you know, go through all his reads, find guys, because this is the other thing. The Bombers are among the best teams in the CFL by a long shot when it comes to scrambling offense. When it comes to when, when, when reads break down, that's when the education takes over on the receivers. That's when the education right. of a Drew Wolitarski or Dalton Schoen, arguably two of the best, yep. two of the best players, when those when those plays break down, they know where they know where to go. Well, the reality is, is that Zach Claros has always been like this. He's always been the guy to roll out. I mean, the, the catch, if you will, the Darvin Adams to the, the corner of the end zone against Calgary all those years ago yeah. that kind of marked off his, marked off his, uh, you know, his legacy here, started off his legacy here. You know, those plays, if you want a Matt Nichols to roll out of the pocket and throw it into the second <laughs> level of the upper deck when a guy's 10 yards away from him because read one, two, three, four, and five, and there's no, you know, there's no, you know, ad-libbing there, like on his own, um, then that's what you get with the safe quarterback. 
with yeah. a quarterback yeah. like Zach Kolaris, you're going to get a guy who's going and is willing to try to throw it into tight windows. I'm all, I'm with you. I'm with you on the on the Brady Oliver. I think Brady slipped there a bit. It was behind him as well. But, it, it, you know, he, I, I feel he slipped because it was behind him. Because he was, was trying him. to yeah. get to it. Yeah, right? exa- exactly. And, yeah. and, and you know, the other one was a deep ball that I guess acted like a punt. You know, they just got picked off. The problem was is they got to Claros far too often. And that's a good comment right there. It was, it was, it was a four-man rush essentially all game, and they were getting to the quarterback. And, you know, while Zach's going to scramble and do his best, I mean, there are teams that also, you know, we hear this how many times, and I don't hate this comment, but it, we hear it all the time. These, those guys get paid too. Well, they scouted the Bombers pretty damn well because they those kind of, you know, those picks, those picks aren't just, you know, right place, right time. That is breaking down and taking away some of his options. Yeah, like and Malik thought, Kearney, that, that's, a, that's a schemed drop into coverage. We're going to find a way to pick him off play. You know, one hundred percent, and yeah. like, and, and that's where you got to give them credit, right? They're playing desperate football right now. Yeah, as they should be, right? Like now they're one game under five hundred, right? They're six and seven, uh, but they've won three of four, and they've got a little bit of juice with Taylor Powell, and I think that lifts everybody up. It lifts the defense up, the special teams, obviously the offense. James Butler wasn't the huge force he normally is, but some of the creative things they did in the run game. Uh, and the short pass game w- was really good. And Powell just composed in the pocket, delivered the football um, as waiters and a couple others have pointed out on the hotline and that sort of thing. Not a ton of pressure from Winnipeg. I think they did indeed miss Jackson Jeffcoat. But quickly back to, to Kolaris, and I know you and I are on the same page with it, but I think it's worth mentioning that. And just to, I'll add a contrarian just to kind of drive the conversation. The freelancing, the ad-libbing, the, um, you know, extending plays, that sort of thing. I get that. That, That's what Kolaris does. And he does it incredibly well. And it's the reason why he is so dangerous and and this Bombers offense is dangerous. However, I think of the um, Coney Ely hit where Kolaris was picked sixth. I think of the the check down to Brady Oliveira uh, that was intercepted today. Uh, I think of those instances where the pressure is really on him, whether he's in the pocket or out of the pocket, you can just take the sack instead of always trying to make something happen. And, and like, look, that instance in the game, it's early in the fourth quarter. They're down a couple scores. They haven't done much in the, in the second half offensively. Things were good in the first half, second half, you know, Hamilton really clamped down on him, especially on Brady too. Uh, So he's trying to get something to happen. I think because Winnipeg is so talented and so deep and so dangerous on the whole, I don't know if Kolaris needs to force those things as much as he does. And I say that while also knowing in the back of my mind that if he eliminated that ability or that, you know, drive to do, then Winnipeg would be much less dangerous because they would miss out on those huge explosion plays that he's able to to make happen and those ones you're pointing at whether it's the Coney Ely one or the you know the the Oliveira one to you know this game you're right I mean some like as much as you want to say you got to take the bad with the good you can limit the bad there It, it, it just seems like Zach is just completely averse to taking a sack like it's just you know he wants to have it be he he'd much rather have it be an incompleted pass like I don't think in either of those instances He's trying to extend the play. I think he's trying to gate the sack. 
Like, I don't I think, think he, there's also times he, where he hucks the ball up downfield and it's kind of a prayer more than anything. See, and so I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I felt that was there was one today for sure. Absolutely was one today. That's not what I'm disagreeing. I don't right think to the end zone. I thought that was uncharacteristic of him. Like I thought that one, like I don't see him facing a lot of pressure in the pocket and then heaving one downfield like he did in this one to double coverage and getting picked off. I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm just saying it does. That's not like, to me, I thought that was uncharacteristic. I thought that was, I didn't quite understand that play. Now it was third and 15 or no, it was second and 15. I think it was, I think yeah. it was second and, and super long. So it wasn't like yeah. they had a, you know, a six or seven yard play. That's they could right. draw up for the first yep. down, but I just thought it was uncharacteristic for it, it felt like a prayer and an offense that's been so well executed uh, for years, you know, and, and, and whatnot. And we've seen them, you know, we've seen how prolific this offense is that felt desperate. You know, there's not a lot of, to me, there's not, there's not been a lot of desperation, even in games where they've been down, that's been their MO. The fact that they don't get desperate, they don't get overwhelmed. That to me, you know, for whatever reason, felt like one of the few times that Zach Claris was just like, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but I'm just going to launch it up and see yep. what happens. And, 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 you know, sure enough, that play also turned into a pretty decent punt, you know, all things considered. But right. yeah, well, like we, we talked about it ball. earlier this year where Claris had a, a three interception game, I think, you know, two pick sixes and they still win. Right. Right. Yeah. Like when Third do you guy get to, ever like, to do it in CFL history? Yeah. So if, if that's going to happen and they can still win, I honestly believe that, you know, the reason Winnipeg lost this game was the defense not being able to clamp down, be as dominant as they normally are, uh, or consistently are, I would say. Um, and special teams are just not good. You're losing the field position battle all the time. Um, you know, I'm not ragging on Castillo at all. At all. I still think he's among the best kickers in the CFL today. But a convert that's missed and then Mark it's two Leggio points today, the other Mark Leggio is the ninth best kicker in the CFL by statistic category. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. no. I, I mean, not ragging on Castillo. I, I just think, Special you know. Special teams is brutal right now. It's brutal. brutal. And it has nothing yep. to do with Castillo. It has nothing yep. to do with Castillo. It has to do with the punt cover teams and the punt return teams. Would like you say it has anything to do with, with uh, Jamshian? I don't think, you know what? I don't think no, so either particularly. No, 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 I don't, I don't think so at all. I, I mean, there's been games where he's, you know, he's could have been better. There's no doubt about that. Like I'm not saying there's no room for improvement. You could say the same thing about Sergio Castillo over the last month, but it's, it's Janarian Grant man is his absence is, it was always going to be difficult. I don't think, at least I can speak for myself, did not imagine it was going to be this difficult. Now, obviously in that game where he got hurt, and it's so crazy to think about how he got hurt, right? What the hell is Janarian Grant doing, you know, that in inwards running play to get hurt, right? Like, I mean, I, well, I understand What's he doing or what's the team doing? Calling well, I, exactly. Right? I, I mean, yeah. I understand wanting to get him more involved in the offense here, but this guy's got one job and he does it extremely well, and that's to return balls. And, and you know, while it looked like, Greg McRae was that guy in that game that he got hurt. I mean, it helped that he also had a 68-yard touchdown. I mean, he was a he was a hero in that game uh, for the for the Bombers. So, but I mean, this is a guy they're missing big time. And I mean, they're also you know they've had Shane Gochi out of the lineup for you know for times Mike this Miller. season. They've had Mike Miller, who is Mike Miller is is the goat of special teams. And you know they've had Jesse Briggs has missed time, I believe, this season. And yep. you know they just they've had guys out of the lineup that are key contributors to special teams. And 
we're, you're seeing it in the field, you know, in, in the field battle, right? It's, it's an uphill on both sides. They're not getting enough yards off their own punt returns. They don't have a Janarian Grant who's capable of returning to the house. Like, every, you know, on every single play, he touches the ball, much like a handful of teams have in this league, right? There's some great returners. I'd argue that there's some absolute, you know, maybe arguably among the best returners in the game right now. I well, there's a brand new one joining Worthy and Alford and Grant, and, and that's Javon Leak, who, Javon Leak, who's leading he's probably the going to win it this year. He's going to win Special Teams Player of the Year. Totally. And he's just so it's just, you know, when you look at all these teams that are doing well, particularly Toronto, great example. Yeah. When you get like because the bomber for the bombers, it was always if the offense wasn't rolling, well then special teams and, and defense would pick up. If the defense wasn't rolling, it was the you know, or the you know, it was offensive special teams. It was it was one unit with the special teams not right. even being really in a in, in a in a in a winning battle week to week. Now you need a lot more out of your other group. So not only is your field position starting you know you're not starting where you want to start in the field position and you're not defending where you want to defend in the field position it has a real ability to you know turn the game on its head and and that's why it's been such an important part of Mike O'Shea's Winnipeg Blue Bombers we all know Mike O'Shea's you know experience with special teams and how much he cares about it and follows it and knows you know how crucial it is for games we're seeing what happens when they when you don't have a great unit and and that's the difference between a 29 and 23 games sometimes. Tiadric right? I mean, Hansen. Another guy. Exactly. Another guy. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's these guys, you know, this is a it's an it's an incredibly appreciated part of the game inside that locker room. I still think it's fairly appreciated outside amongst fans, but we're seeing firsthand here what happens when you don't have a good returner. And right now Jamal Parker isn't isn't the guy. Greg McCray wasn't the guy before that. Johnny Augustine returning kicks today. Johnny Augustine's not the guy either. Like, I mean, they need to bring in a guy who who makes them dangerous. And until but, that happens, I don't think it's gonna be it's gonna be a much tougher week to week battle for this team. Who in the entire CFL is going to make a trade to help Winnipeg? Maybe Ottawa. Maybe. Maybe. But no. Edmonton ain't gonna do it because they're Edmonton trying to win. No, absolutely. Sask. I mean, do you really want CJ Sims? Like, he's not that great. You know no, what I mean? He's not, but maybe there's somebody probably, there. He's probably an upgrade on what you have, but yeah, yeah. I mean. Or you grab a, pretty- you know, uh, uh, it's a, a neg list guy, you know, that maybe you can roster him in a couple weeks. Uh, Derek McGoran, old pal. Uh, good St. James boy. Uh, Grant should McGoran. be back after our buy, says Derek. I don't know. Here, Jeff, you and I, have covered Mike O'Shea since day one, right? Pretty much on the daily. We don't get injury information like many other markets do from their coaches who are a little bit more transparent in timelines and seriousness and situations, that sort of thing. We've seen Grant at practice running in the end zone, but he is not in gear. I don't think he's, I I wonder if he is going to be a while yet. I wonder if at, you know, obviously before today's result at 10 and three, the bombers were just fine and waiting. Right. I mean, like, do you want to rush him back? Right. Cause I mean, we've seen him do, you know, it was what three weeks ago that we were all kind of reporting. He was doing some sprints in the end zone and, yep. you know, looked like he was, you know, that was obviously a, it was like a two hour sprint. practice. I think he did two sprints. Yeah, no, I thought that was overplayed a little bit, but, but still like he was still, he was still sprinting. 
You know what I mean? So it was like, it looked positive. It wasn't that long ago on the CFL transaction list that they've sat him out till, till October. So if Derek, you know, Derek might be right. The timeline might be, it might, you know, speaking of bye week or thinking ahead, maybe they looked at his injury this week when, you know, we're in Hamilton, you know, we're not at home. We don't, you know, we're not in our facilities, yada, yada. Maybe he would benefit greatly from two weeks. Take this week off. But he hasn't been practicing either. So, you know, this is a guy who, you know, they need him bad, but they don't want to rush him back, and, and you know, because this team knows how important he's going to be, right? He's going to be important when the games matter the most. And while every game matters here, the Bombers still have business to take care of in the regular season, wrap up the West, all that all that stuff. You really, really need a guy like Janarian Grant come playoffs. And No question. You know, we'll yep. see what happens. Granny Bomber fan says exactly that, uh, you know, uh, not Granny Bomber fan, just Bomber fan. Uh, says Grant extended on the sixth game through the end of the season, so can't practice till last week of the season unless they pull him off early. Uh, he's definitely, I'm, I'm sure Bomber fan is right here. I'm, I'm sure that he has been on the sixth game longer than six weeks, so he'd be on his second stint. He is on his second stint. Yeah. So, so, but, but they can, they can, they have what, two guys they can pull off early from, from, the sixth game, they haven't yeah. done that to one guy yet. So, nope. you know, we're, we're getting down here with the last four weeks of the season. You got two gets. So if Janarian Grant is capable of coming off, they're going to rip him off that sixth game. You know, if, he, yep. if he's good to go, they're going to, you know, un, until but then. But that we'll, doesn't help the cover teams. It doesn't, it doesn't. So it doesn't in the sense that in true football fashion, it's one-on-one battles in special teams. You win all your, you win your one-on-one battle. If everyone wins your one-on-one battle, then it's kicker against the kick or sorry, it's returner against the kicker. That's essentially what you're trying to set up here is if everyone handles their business on their one-on-ones, then it's the kicker or the returner trying to beat the kicker. And in this case, you know, I'm not saying that a Janarian grant's going to suddenly improve, you know, the, the, the coverage teams, but at the same time, I do think, he gives you a little bit more margin for error just because of his ability, right? I mean, I don't – you look at what Janarian Grant's been able to do with – you know, I, he can do a lot more out of a lot less, I guess, is the simplistic version, right? A guy who's, you know, has the experience, has been there, done that. I don't think you get that same confidence. And that's the other part, confidence, man. You talk about a, you talk about a quarterback that gets into the huddle, what, what effect that can have on the offense, right? It, you know, if you, your starter gets hurt and the backup comes in and he's quiet and he's, you know, he's not confident, that's going to affect the offense. I liken that to a similar situation when it comes to the return game where, you know, Janarian Grant's getting the ball. You know, you know, you just got a little bit maybe more jump in your step. I hate to say that, but I think you have a lot more confidence in a Janarian Grant to the unit than you would say a Greg McRae or Jamal Parker. I will say something controversial right here just because I want to. If I had to choose one of two bomber special teamers to be 100% healthy and back in the lineup, Janarian Grant or Mike Miller, I would take Mike Miller. Holy, really? And yeah, what's I just your, I want to I want to say logic that. I want to say that just so somebody is pulling the conversation a little bit that way, because well, everybody you're, you're, is. Yeah. And you're not coming from it just from a perspective of of creating and 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 clearing lanes for Janarian Grant. You're talking about stopping the returner on the other end, right? That there is a major value. I, I maybe you shouldn't be too surprised by that. I think it's just recency bias with me, where it's you look at 
how little, you know, power or, or explosions or like we haven't seen a guy ball, hit a hole. Let ball alone, carriers let are going to get the love. For right? sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but we haven't seen, you know, we really haven't seen Jamal Parker or Greg McRae hit a hole. Right. You know, it, it's just, but to me, it's just, Jerry Grant's such a, he can turn a, a game upside down. And while you certainly would love the, you know, you certainly would love the, you know, the protection that a, that a, that a, you know, a Miller brings you, a Mike Miller brings you and certainly him downfield to get on those tackles. Uh, I don't know, man, Janarian Grant, I think it's just the difference here for me. I, I, I just think there is a real debate to be had in that. And I know it's a, it's a, you know, superficial hypothetical, no question. right? And there's a good chance that Mike Miller doesn't come back. Yeah, I know. Like, I don't, I don't think Mike Miller plays, man. Like I, I he never practiced before. He like, did I mean, start, pra- he practiced last year. How much though? Jesse Briggs didn't practice last year and Miller I thought, did. I thought Miller, I don't know about that. I thought Miller, I think you're, I think you're confused with training camp because Miller never really does training camp and he did training camp this year and he started practicing this season. I'm not sure he did practice much, but you might be right. I yeah. just think it's one You'd of those things that. Maybe you have to ask DC. At this point though, <laughs> I don't like, I don't think you can expect Mike Miller to come back. And sure. I certainly don't think you can expect the Mike Miller that everybody knows the has goal. come to appreciate yeah. uh, to be playing at that level if and when he does come back. That's the other part. So two, two parts to this. One, the reason I, I put Miller in, in that same Janarian Grant category as having that impact is because I see the cover teams as more critical. Okay, so you don't get good returns. Well, you're losing 10, 15 yards. And yes, that's valuable. You listen to Mike O'Shea talking about, you know, declining pen or taking penalties to gain 10 yards versus giving up points and rationalizing that and saying he would do that again. I get the value, but 10 yards, 20 yards, maybe a touchdown here and there on the return versus ending the ability of other teams to score on you or get a 50 yard return or bring a missed convert back. I think that is so much more important to stop the other team. But and don't you do- think it's arguably easier to fix? Shouldn't it be easier to fix? Well, here, like you, my watch says early July and it hasn't. Indeed. I guess I'm comparing easier to fix than finding a guy who's going to be your dynamic returner. Like, couldn't you like, is, you know, didn't they bring in Jeremy Murphy last week? You know, they brought in Malik Clements last week. Like they, they're doing things to try to improve that part of, of special teams. Yeah. I don't know if they have that option with their return. Uh, yeah, and and to, to counter my own argument, you could say they have Jesse Briggs. They have these leaders. They have these guys that are, you know, incredibly knowledgeable and, you know, effectively a coach on the field and understanding special teams. Like O'Shea has talked about that. It goes, it goes beyond Mike Miller. It's, it's a lot of these guys. Um, and I know Shane Gochi is injured right now, but he was another one. Um, Big time. I, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's, a, you know, keeping guys in check on the field. It's either strategy and, um, you know, the game plan of it or other teams have just kind of figured them out. I, I it, it is confounding. It is confounding to me. It is. And I mean, Jesse Briggs and Shane Gauthier, while super well-respected special teamers, you mentioned Shane Gauthier's out, been out, you know, came back, was out before that for five or six games. 
those are leaders on the special teams, but they're not getting any younger either. Right. You know, this team is aging and, you know, you, you know, you, you have those role players. And I, I'm not suggesting that those, those, you know, the, the Jesse Briggs and the Shane Gauthier's of, of the CFL and particularly this, this team are too old to do special teams at this point, but you're good. You know, you can't expect them to be as good as they've been every single season, but you know, it certainly has shown when you have one of those guys out the, you know, the consequences to that when you have two or more of them out while the well, Bombers have a non-existence coverage team. Kerfala Exume back in the lineup, you know, led this team in special teams tackles as a rookie a couple of years ago, joined the Montreal Alouettes in his home province, comes back to Winnipeg. And I mean, he's on all the teams. I see him out there, him, Nick Hallett, Briggs, you know, I see him. It's just something's off. Something's not working. Um, look, I want to get into, because uh, I know your time is valuable, Jeff. It is Saturday. It is Saturday night and you are a bachelor. Uh, <laughs> um, Walby's Warrior, Westwood's wide to the right. Uh, all of our usual post-game segments. Let's kind of do like a, a rapid fire, if you will. Let's not dig into it too much. I think we'll spend some time on the bonfire burning point, but the happy honker and game ball, let, let's get into it. You got a Walby's Warrior tonight? Hmm. A Walby's Warrior tonight. Um, you know what? I think Nick Dembski was, yeah, that's what I was thinking was, too. Was, 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 you know, like he's a guy that, you know, and mind you, I, you know, it was a bit of a different run for me this evening and watching the game. I watched it with a bunch of bomber fans. Um, but I, a, a guy that just kept coming up, right. Kept showing up and making plays was, was Nick Dembski. And this, this comes after, a, you know, what was it last week? He had one target for eight yards. Was it yeah. that? I mean, he led the team in, in receiving the week before in the Labor Day Classic. So, you know, I think as far as pushing in and I guess I guess living up to his end of the deal, I got to I got to give a nod to, to Nick Dembski on that one. Uh, I will give one to Cameron Lawson. Uh, I know the Bombers mm. defensive line didn't do a heck of a lot, uh, but I just saw a ton of effort from him tonight and got to the quarterback, uh, made some plays. Um, yeah. Waiter saying. Uh, Evan Holm. Evan Holm would be one. a good one too. I you thought know? he, I thought he played well and laid the body, man. That, he's not a big guy, man. You know, like Evan Holm. But he, uh, yeah, but he, yeah. he, he hits like he's one. Yeah, and he's quick. He's fast. Yeah, he's fast. He's fast Has footwork on the secondary easily. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, a funny thing to to share with you, maybe off air about uh, about Evan <laughs> okay. Holm. Yeah, and right. uh, a comedian, a YouTube comedian, I mentioned to you. Uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you ended up checking him out, but maybe, uh, maybe we'll, we'll have that conversation later. Uh, if it's too, if it's too, uh, too racy for after dark, I don't Oof. know what it is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, Walby or sorry, Westwood's wide to the right. You can almost give it to me for pulling that one out. So remind me exactly the definition of Westwood's wide to the right. It's like the the error in the game. It could be a football thing. It could be a non-football thing. In the past, people have given the Westwood wide to the right to the air horns in Montreal or a bad call by the official or command center or uh, a bad challenge a coach made, uh, a bad penalty, um, you know, a, a play call. It really could be I'm anything. To think. I'm trying to think because there was a like, I just think. I don't even know if this counts because I feel like it's got to be a specific player or a specific player or whatever. But I mm -hmm. just felt 
you know, I just felt second down defense by the mm. Bombers, you know, let them down. You know, Good I call. just felt like it was it was one of those. It wasn't a bunch of like, I mean, sure, there were certainly second and shorts, but there were far too many. And I think it was eight. I think they were 18 for 28, which is pretty good, all things considered, over 50%, well over 50%. But it was just the conversions they made. It just felt like the Bombers were in constant position yeah. to get the ball back. And this defense takes a lot of pride, obviously, in, in, in you know putting them in, in second and long and then forcing them to punt. I felt far too often, you know, it's not even one person. I felt like there were complete breakdowns on defense where Taylor Powell was able to do, you know, roll out of the pocket and find far too many guys, whether it was a tippy toe on the sideline for a first down or just a guy who was just wide open. So I felt second down conversion defense would mm-hmm. be my West, Westies wide. I, li- I like that a lot. Everybody in the live chat, seemingly everybody saying Castillo, Castillo uh, mm. as the wide to the Mm, um, that's fair. You know what? That that would be, you know, yeah, a fair one. Absolutely. John Chan uh mentioning that. Good to see you in the in the live chat, John. Quite literally. Uh, yes. What? Well, quite literally. It's Castillo missing. Right. Wide. Yeah. Westwood wide to the no, right just, would be Sergio yeah. wide to the left. Yes. Yeah. Um, there you go. But I agree with Peter. The non-catch ruled on Lawler because I talked about this before you joined Jeff, the Sean Bain two point convert catch in overtime in the Labor Day classic. I broke it down here on the post game show. I felt it was a catch schnitzy disagreed. Other people, you know, had their opinions on it, but they ruled it a catch in command center, every scoring play reviewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this one challenged by Mike O'Shea, I feel was the exact same thing, even to the point where I think Lawler had his hand under the ball where Bain had it kind of pinned on the ends. So just wide to the right on the inconsistency I'm seeing in, in those catch plays. Maybe this was the correction the league wanted to make and it was an error in Labor Day. They'll never admit that because uh, it obviously Did determined. Did you think it was a catch? Did you think Lawler's was a catch? Both of them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was pretty surprised about that too. So Billick and I have been texting a lot during the games and him and I went back and forth disagreeing with one another on the Sean Bain catch in the Labor Day Mm -hmm. game. And then, you know, sure enough, he's tweeting about it and texting me. He's like, what's going on? I like, you know, you, I think I pseudo, like I kind of convinced him a little bit that it was a catch. And and now he's seeing that being like, what the hell? So that's my wide to the Right. right. That's my wide to the right. I think that's a good one. I think that's a good one. Officiating in general has been something left to be desired. Mm, says the president of the Football Reporters of Canada. Yeah, uh, okay, but, uh, the bonfire burning point. The point in this game where things turned in favor of the Ticats. And I mean, it was in their favor pretty much the whole game. Winnipeg was chasing. But that decisive moment. Um. Yeah. You go first, because I got yeah, one. Unless you I, want me to go, I can go. But I think, uh, look, Kolaris' third TD, or sorry, Kolaris' third interception was the one that Winnipeg was able to get back right away with the strip sack and, and Brandon Alexander recovering. And then, you know, Kolaris goes 5 of 5, 47 yards TD. Uh, to me, that third interception, despite that, was still the burning point. because. Had that interception not happened, like Winnipeg's resilient, the body language, all these things we've talked about, like when things aren't going well, they they stay up. Um, in no way, shape or form do I think Winnipeg, you know, was down because of that. But 
Had that not happened, and Winnipeg was either able to get deep into territory, they already were deep into territory, uh, and, and get some points there, there would be more time on the clock. The fourth quarter would have just unfolded differently, in my opinion. That That's why I'm going with, with that as my burning point. Third pick yeah. of the game, it's like, man, okay. So it's interesting because I thought I, I I thought you were going to go the other two. I thought the back to back picks was the third pick. I'm trying to recall was the third pick the one or was it the second pick where they had you know the Simone Lawrence interception was taken off. Yeah, and then he p- got picked again. Was that the second? There was the Malik Carney pick. There was the but there was one was that the Carney pick. It was it was, was the it the Carney pick, pick that let, yeah. So I felt that one too. I just felt like it was okay. I mean, I didn't quite look at the replay, but I thought Simone Lawrence got his hands underneath that. So yep. Maybe I missed it with the rollover or whatever, but like I didn't see the various angles, so it might not have been. But then I felt like the Bombers had life off that because that right there, if that was a pick, that would have been over. That yep. would have been game over. I agree. But then, then you know, you have you you know, you kind of get this like I thought I thought was luck. I mean, there might be commenters out there being like, "You're an idiot." It was it hit the ground, whatever. Um, but then to just give it right back and just to kind of have that because those were two very important. I mean, they're all important drives, obviously, but that was a very important part of the game, right? That was to like kind of start the second half. I was to kind of start the second half, get some momentum here. You know, you, you punt off your first possession and then you get into a couple turnovers and you're inter- you're intercepted three times over four drives. Like, I don't know what other, you know, stretch of the game yeah. would have been, would have been more, you know, definitive to the end result, especially when you lose by, you know, when you lose by less than seven and a half points. Right. I mean, this is, this is a team that this is a team that I thought in that stretch, that was where I thought the bombers were going to come out and be the second half team that we've seen them be. And sure enough, you know, we saw them just do a lot of the same crap they were doing for the first two quarters. Yeah. Yeah. So we agree on that there. Your bonfire burning point hit up the live chat, uh, everybody out there, or if you're watching afterwards or listening on the podcast, hit the comments, find us over on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash bonfire sports, bonfire sports.ca for all your links, uh, sub up, hit that thumbs up. We got hundreds of people watching and only 49 of you have given the thumbs up. I don't get it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't be afraid it won't hurt. right now. We'll, we'll even hurt. stop might, talking for like 10 seconds. <laughs> it might hurt. might hurt a little push that button yeah but just do it (laughs) okay uh this is my favorite part of the post game jeff the happy honker award in homage to the late great cactus jack wells one of the two jacks of the two jacks press box inside the bob irving media center at ig field aka the madhouse on matheson the happy honker goes to the moment of levity of goodness in the game around the game that sort of thing i will start and give my happy honker to zach Kolaris, who stays in on short yardage from the one nice scores a touchdown by just kind of leaping on the pile and laying there on top of the guys that's my happy honker. So I like when that. I watched that, I was with a group. So I saw like eight get out of the pile and I was just like, what? Like, I'm like, that's not, I mean, that's not, you know, and, and the tendency one women, breaker. One of the women I was watching, that's how bad he wants it. And I was just like, yeah, I, I guess so. But they got a pretty good short yardage group. And, and I mean, maybe there's the element of surprise there, but there was no one lined up in the backfield. He went in there like as if he was, uh, you know, who are, uh, who who is who is who is lighting it? Oh, Justin Fields. 
It was yeah. as if he was Justin Fields, just sitting on the one yard line getting. I think that's a great one, and I was wondering what mine would be, but ah, you know, I think. Hmm, what would be my Ellis? It's got to be a bit of a positive, right? Like it's obviously yeah. a bit of a positive. Happy moment. Happy moment. You know what? I thought. I thought. You know, you you did a great one with Zach Clarence because he never scores rushing touchdowns, let alone you know never rushes, let alone scores rushing touchdowns. But I, you know. I, I kind of like, you know, if, this is going to be a, a, a not a great example, but, you know, I, I just, the Kenny Lawler touchdown, right? Because oh, you got, boom, a, pissed boom. Off, yeah, you got yeah. a pissed off 89. He was mad. You know, he was mad, right? You go, through mad. The whole, you go through the whole process of challenging it, right? Because he's, you know, he's, he's motioning to the bench. That's a catch. That's a catch. Like, it's, you know, he's in the official's face. <laughs> At one point where you had to get players to like, I don't know what Kenny was doing there. If he was trying to convince the official through verbal abuse that, you know, to give him that catch, but he definitely tried his hardest. And then for him to come back, what one play later, was it just not the next play? I think it was so. like, boom, end zone. Right. And yeah. how many times do people like, how many times do people just get fooled by the pump fake man in this league? Like it's just bananas. How often you see a quarterback just, do a soft, you know, pump fake, and then Little. launch one down the right field. And all of a sudden, this guy's like ten yards ahead of everybody. Kolaris has a good pump fake. He does have a good pump fake. I mean, and there's a reason why it's called a pump fake because if you can sell a good pump fake, you're going to get those move. opportunities. Zach Kolaris certainly gets a lot of those. And for Kenny Lawler to kind of go from, you know, a raging fire of feeling he had that catch to to finding one in the end zone on the very next play, that uh, that would be my. Uh, Third loss to a third string QB, says Donnie Boy. So you got Dustin Crum, you got Jake Dolagala, you got Taylor Powell. I would argue that two of those three are probably going to be starters next year. If you were a GM, would you, and and you were, you were hard up for a quarterback, you're a GM, okay? You, you offering Jake Dolagala a deal? Hmm. Taylor Powell ain't going anywhere. You know, I like Taylor Powell. Oh, Me sorry. Too. He ain't going anywhere as in like he ain't going anywhere from Hamilton. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I was yeah. actually going to bring that up. But Levi Mitchell cannot be the starting quarterback. No, and neither Hamilton. can Matthew Schultz. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. I think Taylor Powell certainly is, has shown some, you know, shown enough. And I and so that becomes, okay, if, if he's not going anywhere, is Jake Dolgal going anywhere? Trevor Harris? See, that's the thing that's weird about Saskatchewan. Like when I was in Regina last weekend or two weekends ago for Labor Day Classic, Trevor Harris was all over the place. Like he wasn't running all over the place. He was in crutches all over the place, but he's hugging the GM. He's hugging the, the head coach. Like, like they are invested in him. But the question will be, is Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson going to be there next season to, be, to, to yes. you know, to, to bathe to bathe Trevor Harris in the sink and comb back his hair and tell him everything's gonna be okay. Like I don't <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I, I don't probably not. Because yeah. it's either extension time or find a new front office. And so I don't think it's gonna matter. But to your question, and so all everything being equal, if I'm a GM, if I'm hmm. Look around the league. If I'm, you know, it's funny because if I'm, if I'm Ottawa, I'm sticking with Dustin Crumb. If I'm Hamilton, I'm stick, sticking with Taylor Powell. If I'm the Riders, I'm sticking if with If you're Jake Ottawa, Lowell. you're sticking with Dustin Crumb? Yeah. He's come back know, down to earth, man. He's come back down to earth, but we got to remember, man, this is his first year in the CFL. This isn't a guy. Trey you know, Ford. He, 
Straight Taylor Powell. Yeah. Okay, well, I would be taking. I, I still, I still don't think. Dustin, I still think Dustin Crumb's a guy competing for a starting job next season. Whether he outright wins a starting job, okay. I think he's going to be in camp next year fighting for a starting job with a legitimate shot. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Masoli, one of my favorite players in the CFL, just guy, player. Agreed. I don't see him taking another snap. It totally in, sucks. In, in it sucks. It totally effing but, sucks. And so, like, I just think with his versatility, being able to run, look, I did, I think he's on a steep learning curve. I think Ottawa it, as an organization is a bit of a steep learning curve this season. Um, do you think uh do you think Bob Dice is back next year? So does Bob only have one year? Or does he not have a couple of years? He might be he, he must have something beyond this season. At he least must. one or two years. Yeah. So I see him back for sure. I I look, I think Ottawa is the worst team in the CFL. You know, I don't think there's much of a debate for that. Um I gave him the benefit of the doubt when Masoli went down, but now they, they win some games, they beat Winnipeg, you know, like they, they do some things and then it's just. I think Kahari Jones is getting exposed in, in Ottawa. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like there, there wasn't a lot of, you know, good feelings around him in Montreal by the time, like really throughout the process, he was almost a bit of a feel good coach for that one season. Right. Like he was a player's coach in rallying, but I've looked at Ottawa's offense and not been all that impressed, right? I just haven't, I haven't been all that impressed with, you know, his play calling, you know, just testing. Like there's to me, Kari Jones, and this is probably not going to be all that fair because I'm not in the meeting rooms, but he comes across to me as a guy that does what he believes is going to make his team successful and doesn't take as much consideration to what the defense is giving them. And that might be tough Mm. to, you know, I think to, there's I think there's a lot of coaches like that, but I hear what you're saying. No, Tommy Condell's another one. He's not mm-hmm. no longer has a job right now. But like, yeah. but I'm not talking. I think that is. But I also, you know, I'm going to pull back on my stance a little because I think it's difficult to get Dustin Crumb to adjust to what defenses are doing. That is the big thing in all this too. So I, I, while I still believe Kahari Jones just isn't the play caller, I think a lot of people imagine he would be given his experience, not just as a, as a coach, but as a player too. I don't see, I don't see a lot of creativity there. And again, that could be, you know, he hasn't got Acklin into this, in this season all that much this year. Like there hasn't been a lot of, you know, there hasn't been, hasn't been much there. And again, having to go to your third quarterback is not easy, but Dustin Crum, I think has the tools. Um, but I just, you know, Ottawa, like his own me, tools, you don't mean like weapons. His own tools. Yeah. No, not literal figuratively speaking. Yeah. But yeah, certainly, certainly a guy who, um, I just, yeah, I think lot, lot to be left desired there, but I think Trey Ford, Hey, Craig Smith, I wrote about that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think Jake Dolagala saved Craig Dickinson's job during the Labor Day Classic. You know, I don't think that they were going to get rid of him. There's too much chaos there. You know what? Um, Jason Shivers too. He's got that D plan really well. He had a down, Jason Shivers, their defensive coordinator. He had a down year in Saskatchewan last year. He, like, they've got quite, like, you know, I I think they could use a talent injection in the backfield, like with some of the DBs. But like Larry Dean and that front, Robertson and Lanier, and like, they're good. That's a good unit. Oh, yeah. I mean, good yeah. unit got pasted for six straight touchdowns the other day, but yeah, the other week, but, but it just, you know, I, but you know, those things happen. I, I just, you know, I, I think, but you know, to, to Craig's earlier point, Trey Ford saved a lot of jobs there. Yeah. Um, and you got to wonder what the future in Edmonton looks like, because 
You know, Trey Ford is a guy that he is able to learn on the fly, right? He has such an athletic ability that he's able to literally learn on the fly. He, yep. he affords himself more time to be to be a better quarterback. I'm, I don't want to say fascinated, but I'm certainly interested in what happens in that in that front office because right now Ottawa's being or sorry Edmonton's being talked about like you know they're good and their record over the last month would suggest as much. But yeah, I also think they're playing desperate football, and the last thing you want to be doing is playing hardcore playoff football by August. Yep. Yeah, I. It's going to be a fascinating offseason with the quarterbacks, with the coaches. Um, it, it's going to be fascinating. I was just thinking to myself, like, OK, it's time to hand out the game balls. I kind of want to give you a game ball right now, Jeff. Appreciate your Four. time. Appreciate oh. your uh, your insight. I want to encourage everybody. If you don't read Jeff's weekly spin around the CFL, you need to CFL rundown. It's called. Yes, sir. Where'd you get that name? Uh, you and I, I think hashed it up, uh, you know, a couple of <laughs> a year ago when we Years were going to, we were going to, we were going we to do our video. We're going to do a little like thing. That's kind of something that we're doing now, but it's yeah, uh, kind of something yeah, like, kind of something the, like we're the, doing the CFL is such a chaotic league. It's such like, that's why it's I the love best. the most. You know, I'm, people might go, you know, you, t- you know, you, you, you crap on the league a lot. It's one of my favorite things to do because I love the league. You know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't, well, and, I wouldn't and that's waste the my crapping on them if I didn't like, if I didn't care about this league in the future. Yeah. Of it. and it's just whether it's on the field or off the field, it's it's the most enjoyable league it's, out there. And it's just got to get people to the water to watch. You know, it's a soap opera in real life. And for the detractors, the people that like to shit on the CFL, the people are like, oh, it's this or it's that, whatever. You know, bush league, blah blah. When you learn, like when you watch the games and you follow what's happening. I don't know how you're not captivated by it. It's fascinating. Trey Ford, Chris Jones, all of that, you know, like the, the Nathan Rourke stuff and Vernon Adams Jr. coming over and Dane Evans and uh, Masoli and Evans and what happened there. And then, you know, Evans joins BC and it's like, oh, he's a backup now. Uh, you know, couldn't make it happen with one of the most talented teams in the league and losing to the Bombers. And uh, then, you know, okay, he's a number two and he comes in, he's good. And BC's, it's just, this league is awesome, man. It, it is just so much fun. That's why it's awesome. Screw camera angles and, and, and uh, media production flash. Screw it. This is awesome. What, what other league could you lose your first nine games in and still have a shot at making the playoffs? Right, right. And, no other league. And, and what other league? It's like, oh, I want a buy in the first round. Of the, I want my team to have a buy in the first round of the playoffs. There's more on the line in that your team uh, organization needs that $750,000 of gate revenue. That's what they're playing for. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and the is... players get money for playoff wins and get to the great cup. They get a couple grand, like all of these little, th- the, the neg list, the practice roster and plucking guys, the ratio, you know, you uh, sports and junior football. And it's awesome. It's just, there's so much, interesting stuff going on and the it, it's hard to explain help to people but trip over themselves like every 36 hours so it's just it's perfect to it's just that's what makes this league so wild to cover is it's so quirky yeah. it's so the potential for something if you can give out the wrong list of all-stars anything <laughs> can happen yeah. in this league yeah or <laughs> well, well and reg 
Reg Dunlop saying there's there's no drama in the NFL with kind of the smirky emoji. Of course there is. I never said there wasn't. But oh, I love the NFL too. Well, yeah, no, I love all football. It's just this league has something special and it's ours. Um, you you know, you can have the, a PA that puts out a press release saying we will not play when the air quality is seven or below or seven or worse. And then they do it like a week later. Yeah, that was an interesting. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't worry, CFLPA, you're part of us, too. We we, we you have a voice here, too. We'll, we even put it on paper for you. So it's, that's right. Uh, which is interesting, too, which I thought just to go on that. I was in Regina for the Labor Day Classic. It had said prior to kickoff it was 10, but it was two hours old. Now, mm. air quality is not necessarily based strictly on visibility, but I'm telling you right now, I was at the stadium and there was nothing that I could tell you if you wanted to rank it. I would have ranked it zero. Like, there was nothing that Labor felt Day. hazy. Labor Day at the stadium. Wow, there was nothing okay. that felt hazy. There was nothing. Now I wasn't. I'm not the one inhaling it for four, you know, quarters. I'm in my comfortable, covered spot in the press box, so I don't know what the the you know what the you know the the dangers, if you will, are to you know were to or are to air quality if you can't see it hazy. But ten out of ten to me suggests that it's like I'm not saying that you're sitting in the middle of the fire. But it would feel like there would be, it'd be like visibility. It's just, I'm telling you right now, it was clear as day. That was, that was the situation. So like, I think this whole, what came out of it, and I'm not, suggest, like, I, I think it was good enough. I mean, obviously it was good enough to play, but a lot of people were saying, oh, it was at 10 for kickoff. Well, it wasn't at 10 for kickoff. When you went to the website, it showed 10, but it would show the last update was two hours ago. Lots can happen in two hours to air quality. But you have to think, man, with what happened this summer, eventually, and I was talking about this with Ted Wyman, the son, was that eventually there's going to be a postponed game or a canceled game due to air quality based on what just, you know, forest fires happening how often around our country. I don't think it's getting better. Per se. Yeah. I'm not necessarily going to say it's getting much, much worse. Well, it's, it's bad. You- it's bad everywhere. I was listening to a stand-up comedian from like two years ago. They were talking about California and they're like, uh, oh, the fires are early this year because it's like a normal part. It's a season. Absolutely it is. And it is a season. There's forest fires every year. It just this year was particularly yep. bad. Yeah, just like winter. Winter's every year. A couple years ago, it was particularly bad. There was snow up to, you know, nine feet high in the edges of my driveway, you know? It was pretty bad a couple of years Yeah, ago. that's why I, I got out of that house. I didn't want to shovel anymore. I hurt myself. Yeah. <laughs> you got a game ball, Jeff? Normally, I give schnitzy about a quarter dozen. Uh, or a dozen <laughs> or maybe game balls? Four dozen. In, yeah, you got a game ball? Sh- in this situation, yeah, I'm going back to the well. I thought Nick Dempsey showed up. Why wouldn't you give him the game ball? You know, I yeah. thought he, I thought he nice. played super. I mean, obviously, it's interesting to see the yardage. Um, you know, it was, you know, you look, you look at, you look at particularly through the air, and I mean, you have Nick Dempsey at six of ten targets for 137 yards, one touchdown, three second down conversions uh two catches over 30 yards and you, you you move over to the Hamilton Tiger Cats and you know you have Terry Godwin leading the pack with 61 yards on four catches you know and so I mean obviously Dembski was a target he had a big game look at this um, multi-targets to like seven totally. guys and it's uh yeah and I mean 
look at the numbers. Dalton's shown had a great game, you know, eight yeah, out of ten true. catches. Yeah, four down, you know, second down conversions. That's uh, so I would, I'm just going to go back to Dembski just because I th- felt, you know, not Big that he play Nick not that he had a bad game last week because you're not going to have, you know, you're if you're not, you know, a, a bad game is when your team loses. So if you're, if you're being a decoy and allowing other guys to produce, as we saw last week, that's, that's certainly, you know, you're doing your part, but to, to have the impact that Nick Dembski had in this game, I think uh, I think he's very well deserving of a of a game ball in a in an otherwise disappointing game. I like it. Uh, do you want to mention uh, West Boyne Park Housing Co-op? It's located on 17 beautiful acres in Charleswood with trees and open green space along the Assiniboine River. Two, three, and four bedroom townhouse condos in a force like setting. Units are available now. You can find them online. This is their website if you're watching uh, watching the show. WestBoyneParkHousingCoop.com and co-op is hyphenated. WestBoyneParkHousingCo-op.com. I don't know if you can see it up on the screen there. Maybe I can. There we go. It's right at the top there. Freeze your screen. Zoom in. WestBoyneParkHousingCo-op.com. Big thanks to them, uh, our newest sponsor here uh, on the channel. And of course, uh, if you've been living under a rock and not watching our programming over the last couple of weeks, NFL coverage now here on the channel, myself and Jeff, your colleague at the Winnipeg Free Press, fellow sports reporter Josh Fry Sam has joined me. Uh-huh. We've got a couple shows under our belt. Uh, we're going to do it, you know, early in the week, kind of like a overreaction Monday uh, type situation. Go check those out on the podcast, on Facebook and YouTube and, and all the good spots. And Jets hockey coverage coming here to the channel this week as uh, training camp gets going. You excited for that? You excited for Jets hockey to get going? Yeah, I'm excited for Jets hockey season to get going. Um, I'm not looking forward to to turning the uh, to closing the curtains on summer, which is usually yeah. the case when you when you go to a, a rink. But uh, certainly some intrigue here, man. The Jets are going to be a fascinating team to keep an eye on. I don't know, man. It's going to be, I don't, uh, I don't know. We'll see. There's we'll see like $4 million questions on this team. Oh, I still can't even believe that Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck are both going to be at camp with no deal for next season. That and is... they're the two that haven't arrived yet. Well, Mark Shifley, or sorry, Connor Hellebuck was skating with players last, uh, the other day. Okay. He was a late entry and Mark was right behind him. So I both believe oh. both are here. Okay. Um, but, but not speaking to the media until they are required to in training camp, right? So I is get that, that. Okay, so I don't, I, 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 sorry, I get that, but I, you, I get that because that's by design easily, of you know what I mean? Cause yeah. I think there's still fig things that Mark Shifley and Connor Hellbuck want to figure out. I understand the, Winnipeg, on the, the Winnipeg page on what, how they're going to explain this one. Yeah. Right? Like that's, I understand exactly the. The organization won't want the first story, the first big front page story to be Mark Shifley, not the captain, unsure of his future, you know, like that negative turn. They they want its uh, training camps launched, you know, expectations are this, you know, the first story is an important story because a lot of people. I know everybody here on, you know, watching Bonfire, watching Kenny and Rennie and Illegal Curve and Winnipeg Sports Talk and listen to the podcast and, and you know. Many of many fans out there don't follow day to day or week to week. They're living their life. They're busy with their kids or their job or whatever. And then it's, oh, look what's on the newspaper. Oh, right. 
it's it's late September. It's time for Jets hockey. And then that's what they see. That's a lot of people. So I get it. Me but, too. I mean, and I think it's every year, every year is exci- sort of every season is exciting, right? I hope the fan base is excited about, I think there's going to be some major differences this year. I just don't know how they're going to work out. Like, you know, what's, what is not having a Blake Wheeler in the locker room? What benefit is that going to have? And, then, you know, mm-hmm. I know he was well-respected by a lot of teammates, but some guys might be breathing a little bit easier or there might be more voices in this. How's Adam Lowry going to adjust for his first season as with the C? Is he going to, is he going to take over? Like, I don't think he's got to come in there and make his voice heard. He's been a well-respected guy in the locker room for years now. I just, I wonder how he handles some of that burden, right? I like, think, is he I going to be a vocal, like, overt leader? Well, is he going to be a guy that's going to keep that that team together? Because we've seen over and over again over the years, this team has an ability to kind of go with the good times and, and fall with the bad. You're here, so, so I have to bring this up. You remember when sure. Paul Maurice, of course you remember, but everybody out there, do you remember when Paul Maurice said to this man right here, Jeff Hamilton, I could make you blank and cry in that room. So here's the thing about that. So yeah, of course I remember. Um, I we had a great, you know, I had a great back and forth back with them. Um, That's great. <laughs> I don't think he was specifically saying he could make me cry. No, not room. you. Of course not you. You know, I'm like, talking I think, about like I think he, I think Adam Lowry, like, you know, leadership, calling I guys make, out. I can, if I have to, yeah. And the and that's the crazy part, right? Because the because the context behind that comment was, I went to the players. Because like, we were we were talking about accountability. I, I mean, this was this was, I forget what even season this was. This was I was working at CBC, so it was 2014, probably in that time. Mm-hmm. And I was with the Free Press in 2015, so maybe the 2015 season that earlier that year. Because I I joined under the Free Press for the playoffs. It, the, the Jets. Made is that Maurice's first so that year? No, nope, that would have been his second season, I believe. But anyway, I. But I, I, so I went to the locker room. Anyway. There was issues with accountability. So who was holding who really? accountable? <laughs> Back in 2014, there was? <laughs> and, then, and then so the players were saying it was the coach's job to keep the players accountable. And then the coach was saying it was the player's job to keep the players accountable. And so my question was essentially, whose job is it to keep who accountable? And that was the, and that was the answer. But, I mean, I, I do think like, – I do think – it will, will be interesting. Um, yeah, there's not a lot out there. Um, I do think it will be a cohesive team. I just, I just, I still question or I'm curious about the mental fortitude of this group. I know this is a bomber show, so maybe we should get back to the bombers. But I wonder maybe. what the changes mean and, you know, how, how it all plays out this year. Because there's a lot yeah. of intriguing storylines heading into this wow. year, in particular around 37 and 55 and, Peter D. How the the Jets play this season. Peter D. is the commenter of the night here on Game Day After Dark. What will Velarde and Ayafalo do? Uh, Because I really wonder uh, the effect of those guys. Like you got two personalities coming into the room. You got other guys coming back. Wheeler gone. uh, All of that. Uh, It'll be it'll be interesting. I know Gabe Velarde though. Chancellor top six minutes. Uh, I've got high expectations for him this year. But of course, of course, this is Winnipeg's. Post game show, game day after dark, following the Bombers' twenty nine twenty three loss uh, in Hamilton. Uh, final thoughts to you, Hammy, as I, I let you go off into the already set sun. Uh, I believe I'm in a, a darkened room here, but uh, uh, to to enjoy your Saturday. 
I'm Where trying the to bottom is at right now with, with the bye week. Oof. Yeah, with the bye week, I was gonna say for those who felt like they might have lost a lot of money this week, that the the bombers do a great job getting right back at it and mm-hmm. answering back. Um, you know, with a win in the next week, that's not going to be the case this this time around. Obviously, the bombers are off this week, um, setting up for a nice nice match against the uh, the reigning Grey Cup champs, and the Toronto Argonauts coming to town. Still think the Bombers pull that one off at home for. Uh, I think as, I think they're going to be good arrested as, as good as, and fired. Yeah, me too. Um, but you know what? I just I think this one's just. I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's a Hamilton curse. I don't know if it's what is the bye week and and thinking too far ahead, not taking your your opponent all that seriously. I don't think it's any of those. I just think this was one of those game plans where. You look, got to give credit to Orlando Steinauer. He's playing for his job right now. He's playing for you know. Hamilton's Maybe. playoff chances at this point um, and just put together a good plan and credit to Taylor, you know, Taylor Powell. I thought that, you know, he, he worked, uh, you know, he, he, he ran that offense. Well, he exploited the, he exploited the, the Bombers defense and, and just an overall disappointing loss for this team who I thought based on the Labor Day classic loss, just, you know, that, you know, that disappointment, what, what happened afterwards with, with Zach Claros addressing the team. I really thought that that was, a wake up call and we were going to see this team mow mm-hmm. down some clubs over the next few, over the next few weeks, you know, punch their ticket for first place in the West and, and do a lot of what they've done the last two seasons and, and working out the last couple games. Um, but clearly, you know, that wasn't the case. And, and, you know, I don't know what the issues are or were, but it just shows to me that this team is beatable. Um, they play, you know, particularly on the road, I think that's the beauty of of the Bombers situation. If they can, if they can claim the West, that that's a, you know, as as we all know, that's a one home game win away from punching your ticket to the Grey Cup. That's the best uh, the best avenue, of course, for any team. But I think particularly this Bombers club because I don't like I don't like what they've they've done on the road a few times this season, and um, and certainly t- today was another example of uh, of crap in the bed against a team that you know in reality has no business speaking uh, of crap speaking of crap in the bed this is a live score right now late in third quarter the ottawa red blacks who are coming off a terrible loss to hamilton last week and losers of six straight are in vancouver and leading the lions 37 18 just over a quarter to play how many picks does uh vernon adams have that's a good question whoop sorry about that uh one just no, one. that's Dustin Crumb. Two. Two. <laughs> Two picks for PA. Two picks. Just to cap your thought there, Jeff, as, as we wrap things up here uh, on game day after dark. Um, my silver lining, if I had to put one on this, is if you had a choice, like we, we both just agreed that Winnipeg is going to be rested, fired up, and we, we think they'll beat Toronto following their bye week. Mm-hmm. If you had to choose between losing to Hamilton and beating Toronto or beating Hamilton and losing at home to Toronto, I think you would take this potential scenario. If Winnipeg loses to Toronto though, suddenly they have lost three of four and they got to go to BC to with the season series on the line. It's just yeah. interesting when you step back. That's and what this, that's what this loss did, right? I mean, that was, yeah, the the loss to well now that the the Lions are losing to 
looks like they're probably going to lose to the the Red Blacks. You that never know. You never bombers, know. But they open the door with the Two loss of the Labor Day Classic, right? And then yeah. that door swung open with today's loss. Yeah. And you know, with 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 BC facing, you know, what I said earlier in the show is what you know, for my my opinion, the worst team in the CFL and the Ottawa Red Blacks for them to be delivering this kind of well, beatdown in BC place. Much Coleman like, the third, fifty-yard pick six, fifty-yard yeah, pick go. six. That was that second pick to make it thirty-six eighteen. A two-score game with a quarter to play. It is the CFL. Uh, still, obviously, lots to go. But uh, you know, th- this this league is is never short for entertainment. Uh, there's your West Division standings as they stand right now. Bombers ten and four. BC down two scores at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Eight and four on the season. They play in a couple weeks. Winnipeg and BC, that is. Sask, six and seven. Calgary reeling, four and nine. Edmonton surging, four and ten. And then in the east, all Toronto and a mushy middle that includes Montreal and Hamilton at six and seven. And Ottawa, well, who knows? I mean, if they get a fourth win here and able to get a little bit of little bit of momentum going, we'll 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 have to we'll have to wait and see. But I don't think too many people are uh putting their chips uh putting their chips in uh, with, with the red blacks, at least the rest of the way here. But uh, thanks for this Probably hammer. Not. This was fun, buddy. It's almost, you know, we should do something like this. Yeah, absolutely, man. Always, always a good time. Always breaking down games. It was nice not to be uh, on deadline tonight. Taylor yeah. Allen, go check him out at the free press. He did, uh, he covered today's game in Hamilton as the Winnipeg free press continues to be the only print paper in the country traveling to CFL games, which is important. Um Go check him out, but uh, yeah, DB always, uh, always an awesome, always t- awesome time. Love the show, love the midweek show, love the pregame show with with Bluto, um, and the opportunity to to break down this one with you while disappointing the Bomber fans. It's always great to hash it out and and move on to fight another day because the Bombers got a lot of business to take care of still here. They got a week off. I hope fans enjoy their week off because um, it's going to be an ex- you know an exciting stretch here as the Bombers push to claim that West title for a third straight season. Yeah, rest up. Uh, if you haven't already, follow Jeff on Twitter. I think they, they call it something else too, but I'm just going to call it what I've always called it for the last decade plus. Still Twitter.com. You can follow him there at Jeff K. Hamilton. Big thanks to our sponsors, West Boyne Park Housing Co-op, Heart to Home Meals, and the Winnipeg Wolfpack Women's Football Program. You can find information on all of them in your video or podcast description. Um, and big thanks to you, everybody out there, the fire starters, keeping the fire hot and burning tons of fuel lots of conversation uh always good to uh to break things down with all of you out there and hammy uh we're gonna have to do this again soon absolutely man sooner than later no doubt okay take care everybody have a great weekend